Hey everybody, welcome to the Royals FC show. This is episode 26. I'm Vircho, and with me I've got Ryan Kelly, Cindy Lara, and most important of all, the one, the only, Carlos Swenson has one. <laughs> Hello! I'm happy to be here! Um, so, just some quick things to talk about. Rachel Corsi is up for Save of the Week, again. Um, of course. Yeah, of course, right? It's just become, it's sort of, we just expect it at this point, I feel. <laughs> um, and then, I told Rachel we expect nothing less than yeah. Save again. Um, and she did that. <laughs> for sure. Um, and then the other news is so, obviously, Press, Rodriguez, and Sarabrun have all made the final roster for the Tournament of Nations. Um, and that's pretty much it. So, like I said, we have Carla with us today. So that's pretty awesome. So Carla did a podcast pretty recently um, called Ticked. Um, and so we're going to try to be as least repetitive as possible, but we sort of want to piggyback on that a little bit, some of our questions. Great. So you studied political science at BYU. I'm also a poli-sci major right now, so I'm just curious, is there a section of politics that like you're really interested in, elections, courts? Yeah, so it's interesting. So I actually, I started out as a poli-sci major at BYU. Love politics. I always have since I was, uh, since I was little. Um, my father's a journalist. So I'll give you a little background. My father's a journalist, works for the Deseret News. And so I grew up in a home where he was always reading the newspaper and always involved in what was going on in the community. And so I kind of grew up in a home where I was always hearing about the latest political events or the, uh, reading about the latest political leaders. And so I was always kind of involved in government. And I got in and and I got into BYU and I studied political science, but it was too difficult to do with my soccer schedule. I was playing on the soccer team at BYU and we were traveling so much and the class schedule always happened to be at the same time as practice. And so I ended up, I ended up changing my major and going into communications and studying TV broadcast. And at the time I had no interest in being a broadcaster, but I was like, oh, I works with my schedule and writing's a valuable skill yada, 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 and so I ended up doing, but it was there that I actually got involved in doing broadcasts and sports broadcasting. So there's a there's a little synopsis background, kind of how we mesh political science with uh, with what I'm doing now. But to answer your question, uh, I'm super passionate about immigration, and part of that is because I think it's an issue that needs to be solved in our own government, and another part of it's because I come from an immigrant family. Mm -hmm. uh, my mother's Colombian, and I spent some time living in Colombia, playing with their U-20 women's national team. And so for me, that I, and for me, just the idea of immigration and bringing in, you know, some of these incredible people to help our country and what are the best ways we can do that, what is the most efficient ways, what are the safest ways we can do that, is something that I am very passionate about and I hold dear. You've, you, and I know you've spoken at the, the naturalization ceremonies. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So I... I've, uh, so on the side, I do motivational speaking uh, when I when I find time outside of broadcast and outside of soccer. I like to do motivational speaking events. And recently, my most recent events have been at national national. Oh, excuse me, have been at naturalization events and ceremonies or speaking with refugees. I'm actually on the board with uh, Refugee Soccer. Mm -hmm. I'm on the board. It's a nonprofit organization that works with refugees and helping them assimilate through soccer. 
the global sport, the beautiful game. And so, yeah, yeah, it's been a lot of fun working and speaking at those naturalization ceremonies. I'm actually going to be singing the national anthem at the uh, state naturalization ceremony on August 3rd. Nice. At, wow. at the state capitol building. So I just, I just love that kind of stuff. I said part of it's personal reasons. I look at my own family and I know the sacrifices that they made to come to the United States. And I remember, vaguely remember when I was a little girl and they, they were sworn in as citizens of the United States and how special that was for me. And, and I remember my grandparents and my mother voting in their first election and how special that was for me. And so it's something that I hold very dear. For sure. That is so cool. Um, I didn't know about you being a part of that refugee organization. That's super interesting. I think that's, and it's something that affects all of us. I mean, even if you don't come from an immigrant background, and I say that, I say that a little tongue in cheek because technically we could argue that almost all of us come from an immigrant background. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, even if you're several generations removed, it's something that affects all of us. This idea that we're open to people from other countries coming and contributing to our society and refugees, you know, refugees are in a different situation in that many of them were forced to come. And, you know, how do we help those members of society to assimilate? How do we help them and encourage them to be productive members of society? How do we let them know that they are loved? How do we help our fellow brother and sister? I mean, it's something that affects everyone, regardless of how many generations your family has lived in the United States. For sure. Yeah, I used to work with a lady who is a uh, is a Navajo, and she never let that one die. She said, you are the immigrant here. This is my country. <laughs> she, she's right. I mean, yeah, no, she's right. For most of us, I mean, that's and I think that's what makes you know the United States so special is we are a melting pot. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it. Our country was founded on beliefs of of immigrants. And, and we, and I like to think too, that we can integrate and we can combine that with Native American culture and just develop this melting pot and this acceptance of cultures and this acceptance of people from different countries and different backgrounds and different religious beliefs. And, you know, maybe I sound like an idealist, but the hope is that you can combine all of that together to create a beautiful society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. For sure. For sure. I think it's, um... I think it's really interesting specifically that we're sort of having, having this conversation about refugees and soccer because they go yes. hand in hand. Um, yeah. I think in one perspective, if you look at the French national team who just won the World Cup, but also, I mean, if you look at a lot of refugee camps around the world, um, you know, many refugee camps are split along the lines of different ethnic groups. And for those kids, you know, like a makeshift soccer ball is all they have and oftentimes it's that ball which allows communities to transcend these tribal conflicts which have lasted for generations you're saying happen right now even in like sudan it's incredible yeah well and what's interesting it's funny that you bring that up so right now with refugee soccer um we're actually doing a balls for borno uh, uh activity campaign almost where people can pay to send a ball and, uh, and, and, and that seems like so simple, you know, I mean, there are people all over the world that have different needs, but the idea that you can give a ball to a child and by doing so create, you know, 
memories and activities and and there's something special about that I think there's something special that even though we may speak a different language than those all around the world and we may have different backgrounds and different experiences soccer is that one thing that I think kind of unifies us and again I sound like an idealist but I love that I love that idea that I could go to Colombia and and play on a team with women who have very different backgrounds very different experiences and yet when we're on the field, we were all the same. And I, and I love that in our balls to Borna uh, with refugee soccer, you can send a ball and by doing so and pay the money and by doing so are reunited with these, with these children that are halfway across the world. It's incredible. How can yeah. folks here in Salt Lake or just people who are listening to the show, how can they contribute to that? Yeah, so you can actually go to refugeesoccer.com. Um, Adam Miles is the founder of Refugee Soccer. I work closely with him. He's a, he's a just stellar human being. I mean, worked for years on Wall Street and decided that he wanted to uh, contribute more to to the refugee cause. And and by doing so, like I said, you'll find on refugeesoccer.com. You know, there's a we we have our own team, the Somali Stars. Uh, and they play in some of the local leagues and work in bringing refugees and helping them assimilate, you know, because you can imagine how difficult it would be, you know, you're moved to the, you're, you've now moved to this new country and there's new language and there's new culture, but soccer is something that is still very recognizable. And it's through soccer that we can help some of these refugees assimilate and help them network. A lot of it's networking, put them in contact with the right people that will help them and make new friends and help learn the language. I mean, there's so many different advantages that come from being involved in sports when you move to a new place. So I would say, I would say for all those that are listening, you know, go to refugeesoccer.com. You can either donate money. You can get involved in the Balls for Borno campaign. You can check on how the Somali Stars and some of our refugee, local Utah refugee teams are doing and just get involved. I mean, we're an organization that is all about volunteers, that is all about people who want to share their time or their money or their resources in any way. You know, every every dollar counts and every minute counts. We always tell people that even if they can't donate money, you know, every minute of your volunteer time counts because this is human beings that we're talking about. And I'm of the belief that every service, every action that you put towards bettering the life of someone else doesn't go to waste. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, um, I was actually I just I pulled up the website since you guys were talking about it, and yeah, that's um, that's really cool. Is that um, is that Maddie on that picture? Um, I don't know if you know or not. Let me, As in Maddie Lee, right now I'll be able to let you know. Okay, just that's a that's an RSL women's shirt in a in a picture with the kids over there, which was cool to see. Yeah, so RSL women has worked a bit with them. Uh, I met, I got to meet Adam Miles and Refugee Soccer while I was at BYU. I actually did a, I went to go practice with some of the local refugees that had just come to Utah and get to know them. And like I said, I just, I loved it. I loved it. I loved the idea. Mm-hmm. Here were strangers that I'd never met before, but we were having so much fun at a soccer practice, you know, playing 1v1 and doing these 3v3, you know, and like, that was so cool to me. And I was like really inspired by that. But, uh, and that's when I reached out to Adam and I said, Adam, I, when I'm done with college, when I've graduated, I want to get involved in this. And he was nice enough uh, to, 
to let me come in and join. Now, granted, we're always open to volunteers. We're always open to people that want to get involved and who are passionate about it. Um, and and he asked me if I wanted to be on the board. And I said, of course. This is, again, something that I feel so passionate about. And, again, if, even if it just helps one person, you know, I think it's totally worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. I'm also on the website and, um, yeah, that's awesome. I think it reminds me of a Nadia Nadim and she used to play for Portland. Um, and she also has, if you look up her story, it's, um, it's kind of just wild, but obviously growing up in Afghanistan, she could not, she used to play soccer in her backyard, but it kind of had to be this hidden thing because, um, I mean, women, playing soccer in Afghanistan is not really allowed. It's um, So her family actually had to flee the country because her father was murdered by the Taliban. Oh and, yeah, and they ended up in Denmark, and it was through soccer that really helped her get become a part of the Danish society. And now she plays for Manchester City Women, and she plays for the Danish national team. But... Um, so stories like that, you're like, soccer really does make an impact um, in people who have to flee from their from their homes. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, you're completely right. And and there is an aspect of overcoming and assimilation that I think sports, that comes through networking, mm-hmm. that soccer provides. And again, that's why I decided to get involved with refugee soccer. Mm-hmm. And I think of my own life, I soccer has given me so many opportunities. I mean, it allowed me to get my school paid for. Mm-hmm. I went to college, and I was able to experience other countries and meet p- people that were different than me. And <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm like tearing up now. But, it's, <laughs> but, but, and I think of all the opportunities that soccer gave me that have really nothing to do with soccer. That sounds funny, but the mm-hmm. idea that I could get my school paid for, and because I got my school paid for, I was able to. I was able to go to a school that had a great communications program and I was able to be involved in broadcasts and it was through those network that I was able to get involved in soccer broadcasts that I was able to get involved in, you know, being the color commentator for soccer. And in that network, I met, I met coaches that helped me get involved to be the play-by-play for BYU men's soccer. And from there I was able to go to the Monarchs and from there able to go to the Royals and, and all these things that just came from being involved in soccer. And it opened so many doors for me. And I want to do that for other people. I want other people to look at soccer, look at sport, and have it open doors for them that maybe would not have been opened otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like refugee soccer does that. And now, granted, there are a lot of other great uh, nonprofit organizations that work with refugees as well, but the fact that it uses soccer as a way to connect people like I love it. That like gets to my heartstrings. I'm heartstrings. I'm passionate about that. Yeah, that's way cool. Yeah, I, that's really cool. Yeah, I'm, super awesome. I'm tearing up, y'all. Oh, <laughs> oh y'all right over there. All the feels right now. Yeah. So I mean, I would I would put a little plug for refugee soccer. I mean, mm. I volunteer with them, and I I've absolutely loved it. I've been so inspired by it. Take a look at refugeesoccer.com. So, you know, the balls for Borno tab and where you can find information or you can donate. 
um, and find out how you can get involved. We're all very accessible, everyone on the board. Um, and if you want to get involved, you want to volunteer, even if it's just an afternoon, even if it's just you want to come to a game or you want to meet some of our local refugees. I mean, we're more than open with connecting with the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Question yeah. for you. So for those, uh, like, obviously refugee soccer, is that inclusive to, like, adult refugees as well, or is it just, like, youth leagues? If we work with families as well. So the, the leagues right now are more youth leagues. Mm-hmm. But the hope is that it, it also connects, like, the families. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does we focus on soccer as a way to get there. Soccer is kind of the bridge to connect these families with these resources. But, uh, but it also, we also work with families. I mean, it is an encompassing, um, nonprofit. Way cool. Way cool. All right. Shall we, uh, move on now that we've got all the sappy stuff out of the way? <laughs> all okay. the, now that you have like hearing up <laughs> and my mascara is running down my face. <laughs> see what we've done (laughs) um that's really cool i was not expecting that question to take that route at all so that's phenomenal neither was i but i i you know you'll come to find like i'm passionate about a lot of things definitely oh sorry ryan were you gonna say something well, I was just going to go on to the next question. Oh, okay, yeah. Is, is go that for cool? it, dude. Yeah. So, so Carla, kind of like walk us through like how after you changed your major, then like how did you go from like getting into doing the, the stats for BYU basketball and then working with um, the soccer broadcasting and all that stuff? Kind of what was that path like for you? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's crazy, but it's so cool, I think, at least. Um, it's funny because, so the person that really, I think, inspired me or mentored me to go into sports broadcasting was Greg Rubel, which I didn't, I mean, prior, I didn't grow up a BYU fan, I'll admit. I didn't grow up a BYU fan. I come from a, you know, fourth generation Utah family. So, it's kind of, you know, they joke I was the prodigal child that ended up going to the school down south. So I didn't know who Greg Rubel was. Uh, but it, this, my first season, my freshman year playing at BYU, um, Greg, it was Greg Rubel's first season calling women's soccer for BYU. So we were both kind of newbies in a sense. I mean, I'd been playing soccer for years, but it was my first year at BYU, and he'd been broadcasting, calling you know BYU and basketball games for, for years, but it was his first year calling women's soccer. And so we kind of got to know each other uh, through the BYU women's soccer program. And as I started getting involved in the communications program at BYU, which, I mean, I'll give a plug to BYU Communications Program. It's excellent. I loved all of my teachers, and the program there was great. And, uh, you know, I remember telling them, like, this is something I'm kind of interested in. How can I get involved? And I just figured, oh, he'd give me some advice, like, work hard and, you know, get good grades. But Greg's one of those guys. He's such a good person, and he's such a good mentor, and he's always looking for ways to help other broadcasters and other people interested in the field get that head start and get their foot in the door. And I'll always be grateful to him for that because instead of just telling me like, oh, you know, work hard in school, which is good advice, but instead of kind of giving the generic answer, he said, well, why don't you come to a BYU basketball game? Why don't we put you on the set so you can hear everything that's going on? The producer, you can hear me interacting with the director and the producer. You can hear me interacting with my color commentator. You can get an idea of how I work. We'll put you on set and you can take stats for me. 
And it was through that, it was through him kind of opening the door that I was able to step in and realize that this is something that I love to do, you know? And and I remember that very first game, I was so nervous because I know basketball, but I also grew up playing soccer my whole life. So I didn't know that much about basketball. (laughs) (laughs) I was nervous. I was like like, going through all the rules of basketball. I was taking the right stats and, you know, writing down the correct numbers. And he showed me how to do it and everything. And so I got to sit by him courtside my freshman year and take his stats. Every time someone shot a three-pointer, every time someone missed a free throw, I wrote down that stat. And then I would I would have it all there for him because, you know, Greg, he's a numbers guy. You can see it mm-hmm. if you follow him on Twitter. And I was able to kind of send those stats to him. So in-game, he could focus on calling the game and then use those stat sheets to tell the fans how the game's going. You know, they have a... 7-2 to two run, or BYU has missed three of their last foul shots, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, he put me on headset, and I was able to listen to how he works with the producer and how he works with all of those involved in the broadcast, and I was hooked. And I knew this was something that I wanted to do. Uh, to give you a kind of fun, funny story, uh, Greg allowed me to, uh, to do his uh, post-game interview with the opposing team's coach <laughs> and he told me Carla the opposing team coach is going to come out of that door at this time and I said okay I'll go get the interview and I like wanted to do my very best interview for Gregor Bell but on my way there in passing someone had told me oh I think the coach is doing a press conference down the hall so I thought oh the coach has moved I'll go to the press conference down the hall and I did so and it ended up being incorrect, and I missed the post-game interview. Oh, no. I was so embarrassed because it was my very first time shadow Greg, and I was felt so dumb for missing the interview. And I oh, I was, like, so embarrassed when I had to come back to him, and I had to say, Greg, I'm so sorry. I didn't get the post-game interview. But like I said, Greg's such a stellar guy. He was like, Carla, it's okay. I understand. Mm-hmm. Get it the next game. And from then on, I never missed a post-game interview that Greg asked me to do. <laughs> nice. <laughs> How would I have known as an 18-year-old girl mm-hmm. that years from now I would be working side-by-side with Greg calling mm-hmm. games? Right, which is so cool. Which is so yeah. cool to me. You know, and, and I'll always remember how how just kind and how much of a mentor he was to me. Um, the time came where my broadcasting career started to grow and I became, I became the play-by-play voice for BYU men's soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that came through my connection with BYU women's soccer being on the team. Uh, head coach, or excuse me, um, assistant coach, Coach Watkins, was the head coach of the BYU men's program. And I remember one time they had a color commentator dropped and he's like, Carla, you know how to talk on camera and you know soccer, will you come in and do it? And from there I became a voice for BYU men's soccer and and the next season became their play-by-play voice. And I would call a game and I would go back to Greg Rubel the next day and I would say, okay, Greg, you listen to a bit of the game. What do I need to work on? What needs to change? And he was very honest and telling me, you know, you do this well, but you need to change this. Mm. And this went well, but you need to stop using this word or you need to set up your interviews this way, or you need to set up the play this way. And I, I greatly appreciate to this day him helping me and guiding me through as an 18, 19 year old girl on what a good play by play does and how do you prepare. And I remember him telling me, you know, your energy is good, but your preparation needs to be better in this sense. Or you need to have a certain, you need to develop a cadence in your voice. And I was able to take all of this in. My brain was like a blank slate. And I was able to take all of this and learn. And that allowed me, I think, to be better prepared 
for when Trey Fitzgerald asked me to do the Monarchs matches. Um, and I, I worked as the color commentator the last two seasons with Dale Monarchs. Uh, worked with Landon Southwick as a play-by-play, Bill Riley as the play-by-play. Taryn Meyer was also there a couple games in the booth with me, which is funny because I knew Taryn in high school. So, like, there's mm-hmm. all funny, you know, connections. Uh, so, but I'll always appreciate that. And, and like I said, I think it's so funny but also so wonderful that years later I got to work side by side with the same man who mentored me. Mm, that's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I will say that like, I also grew up in a very pro Utah fan, uh, family. And, but my dad loves listening to sports uh, on the radio any way he can. And so I even knew like when, when the Royals announced that Greg was going to be doing the play by play, I thought, well, this is going to be good. He's, mm-hmm. he's going to do it. He's going to do a fantastic job. Cause just from my dad, you know, knows all the guys around Utah that have done play by play over the years. And I thought, well, okay, we got somebody who's going to do an awesome job. And then, okay. and then having you with him too, I thought, well, our broadcasts are going to rock. Well, I appreciate that. And Greg, he always does such a great job and it was fun. It's fun for me. I think, and now we'll have to fact check me. Okay. Fact check me here. But I think I'm the only person in Utah to call a game with both the voice of the Utah Utes and the voice of the BYU Cougars. That could be possible. <laughs> yeah. Between Bill and Greg. <laughs> I don't even know how to dig into that one, but I'll try. <laughs> Carla Building Bridges Swenson Haslam. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been it's been a fun adventure and I'm grateful for, you know, RSL. They knew that I was still in college and I was still a budding broadcaster and yet I appreciate Trey Fitzgerald, and I appreciate the organization, you know, Deloy Hansen, giving me that opportunity, even though I didn't carry a huge resume, and I didn't have tons of experience under my belt. I appreciate them giving me that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so how, how did that yeah. work? Like, who did you talk to, to, like, you are running communications for a professional women's soccer team now? Uh, you know what? I It was kind of the connection through the Monarchs. You know, I've been calling the Monarchs games. I was able to use kind of my resume reel, my games called with BYU Men's Soccer, uh, to land the spot at the Monarchs calling their games. And then it was through that, getting to know Trey and getting to know kind of the organization, that uh, when the announcement came of the Utah Royals, um, I told Trey, you know, I've enjoyed my time at the Monarchs. Monarchs will always hold a special place in my heart. And I tell people that. I tell them that I will always be a Monarchs fan till the day I die. And it's pretty easy because they're so good. But even right. those seasons when, uh, you know, they lacked in luster, I I always appreciated how good the team was to me. And I'll always be a Monarchs fan. But it was through that that, that I was able to talk to Trey. And Trey asked me, do you want to work with the Monarchs? Can, do, do you want to continue with the Monarchs? Do you, or do you want to move on to this royal side? And like I said, it was so hard for me because I love the Monarchs. But I also was so inspired and motivated by this idea that there was a women's professional soccer team. I mean, I grew up as a female soccer player, mm-hmm. right? And so it's like to see a women's team now in Utah was amazing to me. And it's it's such a and to see what Deloy Hansen was adding as far as resources and equality for women's sport, like that's what I wanted to see. And that made me it brought so much joy to me and it it it, the potential for women's sports just grew so much in Utah. And I told him I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of something this innovative and this progressive and something that's going to change the lives of, of so many women and so many girls, 
even if they never become professional athletes. Mm-hmm. You know, the girls that are in the stands, most of them will never be a professional athlete, but they can have role models to look up to and they can say, look, here are these successful women who have worked hard and are elite in what they do and are disciplined. And I want the little girls in Utah and, and one day, you know, if I'm a mother and I have a little girl, I want her to have role models like that. Mm-hmm. And I also want, you know, and I also think of, you know, one day if I have a boy, I want him to be able to say, to grow up in a culture, in a society where it's it's uh, not unusual for women to do the exact same thing as men. Mm-hmm. And where we live in a, a society and culture that practices equality. Mm-hmm. You know, so I told him I want to be a part of that. I want to be part of something new. And it was from there that he then offered me the job to be the media relations manager, the PR manager for the squad. And it has been a crazy adventure working with a brand new team, trying to set things up. I mean, RSL is growing and expanding so quickly that it has been a wild adventure. But it's one that it has its ups and downs, but I wouldn't trade it for anything because I get to feel like I'm a part of something important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's way cool though. Um, I mean, you know, I know I'm going to, I'm going to team name drop, but I mean, you, you played for the RSL women team. I, that's kind of how I ever first knew about you. And, uh, um, you, did you, um, the 2015, that, um, final that they played at Rio Tinto, did you score in that game? I, I can't remember. I like can't remember either. Right. <laughs> that was three years ago. I just I mean the final score was seven to zero, so it's yeah. hard to keep track of who did score. But I don't uh, know because it was so. Cl- it, I mean, it was um, so many goals. Right. It, right. Like, it was a, it was a blowout game. I mean, you can always say we won a national championship, but it was sure. like it was a seven to nothing game. I mean, it was, I remember it was fun playing at Rio Tinto Stadium. Right. Mm. I'm sorry. We'll have to go and double check because I don't know. <laughs> if yeah. I, I want to say I did not hmm. if I if I want to say I did not if I don't remember but at the same time I literally don't remember who who scored in that game yeah um I'd have to find I know I know Sean Walker who I know you know um did a art a thing on KSL if I can find that article I'm sure it says who scored um I'll, I'm sure it's somewhere I'll, I'll effort that okay eventually. we'll have to fact check half of this stuff that was so long ago but but yeah, I mean that that's probably a good example. I enjoyed my time with RSL with the Real Salt Lake women. Absolutely loved it. Loved those women. I uh, right. loved playing with them and traveling with them and everything. But that's probably a perfect example of like when Utah Royals was announced. It was like the idea that we're growing so quickly was so great to me because I had experienced the ups and downs of playing with Real Salt Lake women. Nothing that had to do with the team, just the fact that you want to be treated equal. And you mm-hmm. want the same resources. And so that was also added to my background and my encouragement and my excitement for this new NWSL team. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and and I think and that's something that I like I was really excited about the you know, the Royals announcement is having having followed that team and, and now I, I kind of work with them in a way. So um to you know, that, this was always in my thoughts of oh, oh, it would be so great if if we take the next step and get a professional team here, and then it all just kind of happened, and and now it's here, which is which is great because it just opens up so many more possibilities for um, for everybody. And it happened so quickly. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I remember like being in class, getting ready to take my finals, 
And it was like announced, Deloy Hansen's going to bring in an NWSL team. And just like that, it was like one month later, we had a team. And one month after that, we had a roster. Yeah. It's so crazy. It's so, been so crazy. I wish there were words to describe how crazy the last six months go. And like I said, it, it's been fun. But it's just so many moving parts in trying to get a professional team and trying to make it as successful as possible. I, I will remember these last six months for the rest of my life. <laughs> I just really quickly, I found the stats. You had an assist. Okay. And score. Oh, I'm sorry, fam. I'm sorry, fam. That's okay. <laughs> so you being, I guess, part of that inner circle a little bit, did you know that the Royals were coming or did you find out when everyone else did? No, when I found out when everybody else did. That's cool. I and mean, I remember, was... Del- you know, I, re- I remember hearing, you know, like, you know, Deloy, he wants to bring in a, a women's professional team, but it was kind of just like a thought out in the distance. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I remember hearing that, like, it's it's something he wants to do at some point, but I consider it, like, a 10-year plan. So, no, I, I found out just kind of like everybody else, and I think most people in the organization did. You know, I think it, it came out of the blue, and it was a decision that they said, okay. I mean, Deloy Hansen it is an incredible owner in that when he has an idea, he sprints. He does not run. He does not walk. He sprints. And if if – he has an idea and a dream that he wants to achieve, then it ends up happening. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't want to jinx anything, but I think what's also been fun to see about him as an owner is, I, you know, if some people when they when they try to go that fast can trip over themselves and, and maybe make a mistake, and it, but it seems like everything goes really well that he does as well. It's not just the speed, but he makes sure it gets done right. Yeah, well, and, and part of that, I mean, I don't want to pat myself on the back because I'm including, <laughs> I'm including the dozens and dozens of employees at RSL, but part of that is he hires, he brings in people who are willing to get the work done. And again, I'm not talking about myself. I'm thinking of my fellow coworkers that are just hardworking people, and they put the pedal to the metal, and they get things done. How many people would you say work for the Utah Royals, I guess, section of the RSL organization? You know, it's difficult to say because we all kind of wear a lot of hats. So while we have our Royals group, while you have, you know, I'm their PR, Skyler is our videographer, Roscoe's our photographer. I mean, we're kind of the traveling media staff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, but then Tyler Gibbons and Lauren Parkinson, they're also working day in and day out with the Royals. And and likewise, some of these members are working with Marcel and you know, Bobby and Delia with RSL have done Royal stuff. And so we all kind of work together as far as media, as far as media staff that travels, it's just us three, but, but we all work together at some point we're helping with RSL. And at some point the RSL staff is helping with the Royals. And at some point the Monarch staff is doing both. And so that's kind of a difficult question to answer because we're all really working together and we're all helping each other out. And our irons are in every single fire you can think of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's kind of a, a long answer to that. <laughs> but we all have a lot of hats. We get a lot of work done, that's for sure. On the on you know on this note of wearing different hats, would you mind telling us uh, about these different hats that you wear day in and day out? Yeah, yeah. It's like I said, I the one of the things I appreciate about this job is that every day is different. There's not a single day that's like the other or the one before. I mean, I help out with, I mostly focus on the Royals uh, and everything from writing the press releases to, you know, written content, the feature content that helps engage with the fans and helps 
and team to become a bit more relatable uh, to the fans, the written content online. I so I've worked with some of you individually in scheduling interviews and in scheduling mm-hmm. podcasts with the players or kind of those media relations roles where if there's a journalist that wants to talk to a player, then I can help set that up. Uh, obviously, on the broadcast side of things, I'm working with Greg Rubel and our producer to kind of get an idea of what we want to talk about in our pregame show, pregame interviews, do the TV and radio broadcasts. I try to help out the press conference as much as I can, but we're usually doing a postgame show. So, you know, for those that have come to a Royals game, I always end up walking in halfway through the press conference. <laughs> uh, pre-game and a post-game podcast. You know, talk about the starting 11, who's been playing well, who, what are some of the changes. We do a post-game nightcap, kind of talk about what are Greg's and I's initial thoughts following the game. And and like I said, we, we kind of do a lot of things. Press box, you know, I help get some of the info that's going to go into the press box. Everything to try to make the journalists or the reporters or the media members jobs as easy as possible. And, and that can, you know, and, and that I'll be honest, that can be difficult sometimes because you want to work with your local media outlets to help them with everything they need. But I also serve, you know, the team. I also want the women on the team to feel comfortable and to feel like they're not being bombarded by media everywhere. And so you kind of have to walk this fine line. I think I've coming to learn that PR is an art <laughs> and an art, <laughs> Very, you know, in art, I'm still very much learning. I'm still in the beginning stages of, um, I never took a PR class in college and I'm starting to learn, you know, how can you help the media get everything that they need and how can you also help the players feel comfortable and so that they only have to worry about soccer and they only have to worry about playing well. And so that kind of gives you a broad, very broad idea of what I do day in and day out. Yeah. So and you do a great job, by the way, just so you know. I <laughs> that i always do yeah also sorry for being members of that pesky media because <laughs> no, i know that i'm no. awful and i definitely don't mean it that way I definitely, don't, I definitely don't mean it that way i don't get i mean you have to do your job and i totally get it and like i said my father is a journalist mm-hmm. so like i get it i get that you know you have to produce content and it has to be uh factual and it has to be accurate and it has to be persuasive and you want to appeal to those that are reading your content. I recognize that you're working on a deadline, that things need to be timely, that there are certain players who at certain times of the year are going to be of more interest than others. I mean, mm-hmm. I totally get all of that. And I, I I totally understand, I guess is the word I'm saying. I mean, I studied, studied news media, TV broadcast in school. And so I've been there. I mean, when I was in BYU, BYU is one of the few programs in the country that does a daily live news show. Oh, wow. Um, right. On BYU TV. They do it. And KYU, they do. I mean, or excuse me, just on um, BYU t- Channel 11, I should say. It's a wow. Channel 11 news, and it's a daily live news show. And the students are the producers and the reporters. And I was part of that. And oh, my heavens, I know how hard it is when you need to get a quote quickly. And I know how hard it is when you need to get B-roll for a video that goes out in 15 minutes, you know? Mm-hmm. And and that was so stressful, but it also allowed me to really sympathize and really get what's going on on both sides of the table. I mean, I was a player, so I know what that's like, but I was also a reporter in college, and so I know what that's like. And I, I think that's actually been beneficial because I, I try to – help out both in both ways. And I, I like to think that I have an idea where some of these journalists and reporters are coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of a, a just quick, quick, funny story of my own. Not that this is about me, but, um, I, uh, my brother, 
my brother-in-law works for Fox 13 here in Salt Lake, and they went out to the uh, RSL practice today to do some interviews. They wanted to talk to Mike Petke, but he's kind of not available right now. Um, but he calls me at like 930, and he said, hey, have you heard anything about this story and something on Twitter? Like, before we go out there, I'm apparently a source now to my brother-in-law for, you write about the team, you know what you're talking about. I'm like, you're okay. <laughs> That's funny. You're an inner. I guess. <laughs> I, I feel um, like I think it's interesting that people like feel that way about us. But it's like I mean I don't I don't you know mean to speak for you Ryan you Cindy, but from my perspective I mean I'm just someone who has a hyper obsession with the club to the point that it's mentally toxic. <laughs> okay, no, that's just you. you. Yeah, that's you. <laughs> I want you to know that the sentiment towards towards you and towards the media is positive. It's good. I'm glad yeah, to hear that. Good. We appreciate all that you do and and the sort of coverage and publicity and everything. I mean, all of that is good for the club. Thanks, Carla. Yeah, you do great work too. You're very diligent. Thank you. And, and- I know for me, like that's that's a lot of why I even kind of ended up where I'm at. I mean, I certainly never thought of myself as being a, a you know, one day a consistent writer for a soccer website, and then now doing a podcast. Like this is all still kind of surreal to me. Mm-hmm. But uh, yes, it's okay, right? <laughs> but it, it all kind of started from um, the World Cup, the Women's World Cup in in fifteen. Just and I know I've said this on the show before, but. Um, you know, just all of a sudden I thought, yeah, women's soccer, you know, this should be, you know, our team, our country wins and we should be supporting this. And so it just kind of started as how do I get more people to notice this? Because I think in a lot of cases, it's just that people don't know that there's yeah. where soccer, that there's women's soccer being played. And once they hear about it, they think, oh, I'll go. Absolutely. And so that's kind of why I why I still stay involved with, with RSL soapbox and, and this show, it's just, you know, I mean, you guys have your own PR, but one more voice saying, come down and watch this doesn't hurt. And I, I'll support the team any way I can. Well, we need, we need, we need more people like you. Cause, cause I know I completely agree. I completely agree. (laughs) How was the, um, just the whole home opener. I know we've talked to players about it and they say that it's just been just, it was surreal. It was something they, I mean, it's still in in their memory, but from just, you know, a PR perspective, somebody trying to handle it all. How, how was it for you personally to be a part of that, that momentous day in Utah? Yeah. Um, So in the moment it was like relief because it's Mm -hmm. like, we had worked so hard Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. And we had pulled late nights and we were going to Harriman at like eight o'clock at night to shoot intro videos. And, oh, wow. and we would put so much coverage. I mean, everyone was all hands on deck. Everyone mm-hmm. was putting in so many hours and was working so hard to make sure that that home opener went smoothly and went well and that it was a good experience. And so when I actually, it was, it's so funny because I remember that day you know, I'd gotten there early, early in the morning and we had been working late all week and everything. And I remember kickoff, the the ref blew the first whistle Mm -hmm. and, you know, kickoff had begun. And I remember 
all of a sudden I, I realized I had been running on so much adrenaline that I was like exhausted. It was so funny because we were like minute one into the game and I was like out. <laughs> so funny because I had to like, okay, Carla, bring back the energy, bring the energy because I was like, okay, now I have to call a game, but I am like so exhausted by just the last like four months of trying to get everything ready. Um, and so it was kind of like relief. Mm-hmm. And then you give it a few days. We went home on Sunday and we like took a nap and I just crashed. And then I look back and I was like, wow, that was pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. It's pretty incredible that for one game we could market so much and get so much done. And I mean, all the people there, the energy was amazing. Mm-hmm. The 19,000 plus fans, like that was incredible. And I know you were there that, that the energy was amazing and the players had a great experience and it was a great game I mean I know the team lost but it was like a fun game to watch and it was a fun game to call mm-hmm. and a lot of coverage there was nationwide coverage because there was a women's team that was bringing in it was a non-Portland team that was bringing mm-hmm. sort of crowds and these sort of and this sort of energy and so you know maybe I'm gonna end up sounding like most of the players but it was really special mm-hmm. and really cool to feel like you're part of that and and I also just felt a lot of pride you know, proud of my coworkers. I put so much time into it Mm -hmm. and, and it really was a success. I mean, you take your victories when they come and that I think was a victory for the organization. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Any guys, any other questions? Oh, there's a million of them. What are you talking about? Yeah. And let's go ask to go. Make with the questions. Yeah. Go for it. I'm game for anything. So, obviously, um, you know, your job is definitely not a typical 40-hour work week. Um, so, this is kind of a loaded question. But That's okay. But what does a day working for Utah Royals FC look like for you? I'll try I'll try my best. Because, like I said, no day, no two days are ever the same. Oh, for but, sure. But uh, uh, if, if there's practice that day which they, they practice almost every day, then I'll go to practice and I'll help out with any of the media obligations and just kind of make sure that interviews that day go through, whether it's reminding the players or Laura or connecting, you know, the players with, with media members, whether it's before practice or after practice or during the day, you know, get back to the office and create, you know, the content for the day, try to create your timely pieces, try to create your evergreen pieces put out as much content as possible as we approach game day. Uh, I'll reach out to the team and find out what are their media needs. Uh, make sure that all the journalists coming are credentialed. Make sure that there are credentials for the upcoming team that's that that's going to be arriving. Make sure that on game day, everything from the press box to the interns that are going to be working the press box to the stats to the broadcast crew, that everything's kind of been organized uh, ahead of time. Um I work with Greg uh, and the producer who's it's right now. Uh, it's often Ken Neal just got back from producing the world cup matches actually in oh, Russia and, uh, you know, make sure that, that they get the pregame interviews that they need. So that's kind of gives you a general idea. It's a lot of running around the stadium, running to AFF, an occasional run to the Harriman facility. Um, and then standing in the office, standing on my computer, typing things away on the phone kind of connecting with people and trying to make sure that everything runs as smoothly as possible. And then when we're on the road, I'm doing a similar job and making sure that Skylar and Roscoe have their credential 
Skyler and Roscoe have everything that they need so that when they get to the field, they only have to worry about doing their job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes How- smoother than others, right? Like some days, sometimes we get to the stadium and they are <laughs> there. And sometimes we get to, I in Chicago, actually, when we were playing against the Red Stars, uh, we left early and we we're going to go to the stadium and there was a train. Oh, no. That drove that uh, we had to stop at the at the trains at the train light, train crossing, and uh, the train was moving five miles an hour, and all of a sudden it just stopped on the tracks. Mm. Like we have a game to go to, and we're like trying to find the nearest route to get past this train, and it was like twenty miles the other direction, and so we ended up showing up to Toyota Park like late, oh, you know, no. that are totally out of your control, but. It's funny now, like weeks later, it's like funny to think like, wow, remember that one time we got stopped at a train crossing going to the game? <laughs> it was like really stressful. <laughs> and I recorded like the pregame podcast, like in the car, in the van. Wow. So, like it, wow. It was, at the time it was super stressful, but now it's funny to look back and laugh. That's usually how it goes. You look back <laughs> and you're like, okay, that happened. Let's laugh yeah. about it. Yeah, uh, which, by the way, um, it is hilarious um, just watching when I'm, like, on whenever I get a chance to go and be on the sideline, um, Roscoe and Skyler are hilarious. Oh, yeah. And, and even just, like, on Twitter, they're hilarious. And even just, like, like, the stuff they put up there of you guys interacting is hilarious. I, I couldn't have asked for a, a better crew to travel with and, and endure the ups and downs and rejoice in the victories and rejoice in the when moments are go right and you know roll our eyes when things go wrong i couldn't have asked two better people and i'll include greg because greg's in our traveling party now Mm. as well but i couldn't have asked for better people to spend this adventure with yeah for sure um can you tell us a little bit about the jenga episode Uh, (laughs) i'll never i'll never be able to live this one down (laughs) Yeah, we were in a, we were in North Carolina. It was the very first time uh, that the team was going to play NC. It's uh, when okay. they grew two to two at Wake Med Soccer Park, mm-hmm. and uh, you know practice had ended, and the team went back to the hotel. And Roscoe always likes to do a photo gallery of the area that we're playing in. Yeah, Ollie's not too far from Cary where we were, and so uh, we took the van. I'm always I always end up being the driver for some reason. <laughs> uh, I don't. I, I don't know if it's because I'm like letting the team administrator know that I'm going to need the van. I don't know. Anyway, so we're <laughs> driving to Cary, or excuse me, to Raleigh, and we get to Raleigh. And for those who have been to Raleigh, it's a beautiful city. That's mm. where the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill is. And uh, it was Skylar's birthday. Was it? I think it was Skylar's birthday, or it was approaching her birthday. And so you know, Roscoe, she wanted to get a drink to celebrate her birthday, or Roscoe wanted to treat her to a drink or something. And so we ended up finding this little bar um and they got a drink I got my diet coke I don't mm-hmm. drink so I, I have my diet coke and they're uh they're drinking and they get out this big Jenga game and they're like Carla let's let's play Jenga and I'm thinking to myself okay like I was thinking in my head let's get them a few drinks <laughs> you know and my hope was that and then I can beat them in Jenga um, <laughs> but they were smarter than I was they were much smarter than I was, and I ended up losing. And uh, Roscoe and Skyler, being the content producers that they are, video recorded all of it. And video Skyler video recorded me losing in Jane and put it up on Twitter. And I thought, no one's going to see this. No one's going to care. And it, like, ended up just 
like exploding. It went viral through the like RSL community. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, you don't know how many like direct messages I got and text messages I got and Instagram messages I got about people being like, hey, I saw you lost in Jenga. (laughs) (laughs) It's been that way ever since. That's so funny. But you got revenge, though, right? Yeah, yeah, I will say I did get my revenge. Uh, We played, uh, what do you mean? The card game, what do you mean? Mm. And I beat Skylar in what do you mean? Mm. So, love you, Skylar. (laughs) I'll never let you, I'll never let you live that down. That moment I beat you in what do you mean? I had these (laughs) memes. So great. Uh, okay, just random question, and then you guys can ask questions. Um, who is the most requested player? Probably before Kristen Press. I'm assuming she's super popular right now, um, and that way I can ask if I can interview this most popular player. Ah, <laughs> oh, Cindy, you can't beat me to it like that. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. You know what? It sounds funny, but I don't know if there is one because it, it really uh-huh. is changes from week to week. Oh, okay. uh, you know, when Katie Stengel got her brace, that mm. week she was the most popular player. When okay. Brittany Ratcliffe scored the game-winning goal in North Carolina, she was the most requested player. When Amy mm. Rodriguez uh, returned to the U.S. Women's National Team in June, she was the most requested player. So it, it really depends on who what happened the game before. I see, I see. You know, okay. I, I, that, that sounds like a cop-out question, but it like actually is the truth. That it just varies. I mean, when Desiree Scott was the captain, you know, of of the most of the, you know, after Becky was injured and Desiree Scott, you know, wore the captain's armband, she was the most requested player. And so it really depends. You can get an idea of who's going to be the most popular player that week for media purposes based on how the game before went. Okay. So something to keep in mind. So everybody wants to talk to Rachel this week. (laughs) Yep, so uh, I've got a request for Rachel Corsi this week, because, you know, save of the week and everything. Yep. And, and depending, too, like Katrina Gorey as well, because uh, she was called in to represent Australia, the Westfield Matildas, which, mm-hmm. by the way, is the best name ever for a national team. <laughs> right. Agreed, agreed. Zealand's Football Ferns is pretty good, too. Mm-hmm. But, so it kind of it kind of just varies on what happened the week before. Okay. So, so out of that curiosity, where do most of these requests come from? Are they mostly just, like... KSL, Deseret News, because as far as I know, there's not another, like, Royals FC show dedicated podcast. So is most no, of this stuff print? You're right. Yeah, so it's print, it's TV, it's, you know, podcast. Sometimes, you know, podcasts from around the country. I mean, just a couple weeks ago, there was a goalkeeping podcast out of, like, Texas that wanted to talk to Abby Smith. Hmm. You know, I, yeah, I... Yeah, and so, you know, sometimes it can be, like, really random, but, yeah, a lot of it's, like, our local, most of it's our local media, our local print, our local TV reporters that come. That's probably a good majority of it. Mm-hmm. Are, are the players pretty always up to, like, talking, or is it kind of, you know, I'm, I'm assuming just because they're always, not, they're always, I feel like they're always doing interviews, um, but is it something that they are super... And, and obviously we can say they are because everyone that I've requested um, has been willing. But um, is that kind of like – because when I think about men's soccer, I don't – obviously I don't do men's soccer media except for like photography. But are, are they pretty pretty cool about just talking to the media? 
yeah, our team's really good, which makes my job so much easier. But yeah, all the women on the team are really good. I usually just send them a text or talk to them after practice and say, hey, so-and-so is interested in talking to you. You know, I always ask him, are you willing to do this? Because I, I understand they don't, they have no obligation to do it. For sure. So I always ask them, if that's something you're willing to do, let me know what times and days work best. And the women are really great about getting back to me and saying, yes, of course, I totally will. You know, this time works best for me. And like I said, that makes my job really easy. Yeah, for sure. They're willing. But yeah, I, it's, it's been great. You know, it's, I think the, all the women have been very willing and willing, very helpful when it comes to helping the media get the quote that they need and interacting with the community. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's cool. Are there players who are like, get me on as many places as possible. <laughs> and then there, is there like another camp that's like, eh, kind of like only if they ask specifically for me, are there like different camps on the roster like that? Or, you know, not that I've heard, like I said, from what I've seen, everyone is, you know, if someone requests me and wants to talk to me, I'm more than willing, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so, I, again, I know that sounds like a cop-out question, but everyone's been pretty flexible and kind of goes with the flow of things. So, for yeah, for the most part, I, I haven't really seen any sort of, um, any sort of differences between any of the women. Because it's, it's, I mean, from my perspective, it can be just kind of daunting talking to, um, you know, soccer players I've been watching. I've only started writing soccer for a year so. Like, of Becky Sauber and Kelly O'Hara, Kelly O'Hara, you know, all the national, Nicole Barnhart, I have seen them watch soccer for, you know, for a long time. So that's kind of a daunting perspective to. Well, you do great. So I would have never yeah. guessed your stuff. Oh, thanks. That's, yeah. that's honestly the reason why Virto and Cindy have interviewed players, and I haven't yet, because I, <laughs> I get way too scared to even think about talking to them, like, one-on-one. It's so nice. You don't, you I'll don't get over it. Yeah, they're great, Ryan. It'll be great. You'll, you'll do fine. I, I know. Someday. Yeah, I mean, you'll, you'll, I'll summon the courage. Yeah. You yeah, just gotta remember, if you do something stupid, they're not gonna, like, they're not going to say anything. Like, I'm sure Lola <laughs> Bonta might. thought I was an idiot, but she just didn't say anything. So it's perfect. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, they're really nice. They're really great. You yeah. have nothing to no, worry about. They're awesome. Yeah. Do you all have any other questions on that note before we move to just some other questions about the front office? No. I'm no. Good. Yep. Um. So, I don't know, and you may not be the best to ask for this, but like, how does scouting and, I guess, player transfers, how do those things go about in the NWSL? Um, yeah, so like I said, I'm definitely not, like, the expert for this kind of stuff. But, you know, the soccer community is so small mm-hmm. that I think the coaches are very aware of upcoming players in college. They're very aware of players that are rookies in the NWSL that are starting to make a name for themselves. Maybe players that are flying under the radar but are playing well. The coaches watch a lot of film. They're aware of what other teams are doing. They're aware of college teams. They're aware of players overseas. And I mean, I think Gunny is a great example of that because she didn't play in the United States, but Laura Harvey was very well aware of her and and how well she was playing in Iceland and in Norway. And so the coaches spend a lot of time watching film and 
and hearing through the grapevine of who's playing well and catching up with those players. And, and I think it's different. I mean, you have your, your, your allocated players, your federation players that there's some rules with them because they're getting paid by their respective national teams. And then you have rules with players who have contracted rights within the NWSL with teams. And then you have players that are overseas and their international contracts and how that all works. So I'm definitely not the best person to ask uh, for those kind of questions, but I can tell you that the coaches are always very aware of what's going on in the soccer world around them. And and through that are able to make decisions and decide things like trades and mid-season trades, right? Which I think are like so crazy, but so crucial to the league. And, you know, and work out the logistics with other teams when it comes to contracts. Mm-hmm. But so the Royals don't yet have anybody like a, like a Andy Williams, who's a dedicated scout for them, do they? Not that, you know, would be on their job title. You know, okay. but I said that the coaching staff is working together. Laura and Scott and Amy and Jason are all all working together in that sense. Mm. Okay. And Craig Weibel as well. I mean, you think about his role in the beginning of the season and even as the season progresses, but definitely the beginning of the season where they were determining which players, you know, would be best, which players should be traded. I mean, Craig was there at draft in January of 2018, which I, that was like such a cool slash crazy slash wild experience. Cause it was like my second week of work mm-hmm. and we were at the draft and I was sitting at the draft table while Laura and Craig and Scott Parkinson are trying to determine who they should get. And it was like so surreal for me to be there and like listening to them, try to figure out who would be best and who they want and, you know, keep up with the, the just madness of the draft. But, but they're all working together to, to, you know, create decisions that they feel would be best for the team and, and players that would be best for the coaching style or the, the coaching style and the playing style, you know, just because a player is a great soccer player doesn't mean that they'll fit in with the style mm-hmm. of play with that. They'll fit in with the style of coaching. And so you have to take all of those things into consideration. Yeah. Um, and on, on a draft note, just for fun, um, I want to ask, um, so what was it like being there at the draft and then the team picks Taylor Isom, who you know, of course, very well? Yeah. Like. It was so wild. Like I said, it was so wild because it was like my second week on the job and they had already flown me out to Philadelphia and I like hadn't even walked in my graduation ceremony yet. And it was just like this, this like wild ride. It was fun. It was fun. But it was like this wild ride of trying to get everything ready and trying to get all the press releases out and trying to get all the content out. Um. You know, and I'll give a shout out to Matt Gash because he helped me so much in like getting these press releases out as fast as possible and writing, you know, while I was helping doing this, getting to know you piece on Taylor Isom, he was helping write the press release and everything. So give a little shout out to him. Um, but it but it was wild because I didn't expect to be placed at the table because for those that have been to the draft, each team has their table near the stage near the mm-hmm. very front, and there's, like, maybe four or five chairs at the table, mm-hmm. you know, and then there's a huge audience, and there's tables for the media, and there's tables for players that, you know, are entered the draft, so I thought I was going to be in the mass crowd, and then all of a sudden, it was like, nope, here's the table that you're going to be sitting at with Laura Harvey and Craig Weibel and Stephanie Lee and Scott Parkinson, and, uh, and you know, start writing away, and I remember... This is the memory I will have of the draft 
is I remember I just got in my bearings. I just got my wits about me. I sat down at the table and I was like, okay, everything up till now has been done. Now I just get ready for the draft to begin. And 20 minutes before the draft started, uh, it, we made it official that we had traded for Diana Matheson. Mm. And then it was like, oh, never mind. Like, let's get a press release out. And I was like, okay, we'll just wait till after the draft to, to send it out. And then it was like, no, it's going to be announced at the draft. And so, like, we don't want these players finding these things out at the draft. We want a press release to be put out ahead of time. And so wow. they had already spoken to Diana, and they had already spoken to the players being traded. So, like, the players knew, but it was like, these are things that we wanted to put out the official release before the draft started. And so things behind the scenes, right? Like, I mean, for those that were keeping up with the draft, you're probably like, oh, we just got a press release that said Diana Matheson's coming to the Utah Royals. Uh, but for me, those were like the craziest 20 minutes of my entire life trying to get all this info out before the draft, you know, like on a hard deadline. And I mean, it ended up happening, like I said, Matt Gash helped me so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was crazy and it was wild, but it happened. And then to go on, yeah, it was in the, um, it was really surreal uh, to have Taylor Isom, who's one of my teammates at BYU that I played four years with in college, then get drafted mm-hmm. um, as the first pick, the first historic pick for the Utah Royals FC and how cool I think that she was at Utah product. I mean, had played multiple games at Rio Tinto Stadium with Alta High School. I had played with her at BYU. Um, and and then I should add later, another one of my teammates, Nadia Gomes, uh, mm-hmm. who was my graduating class. I was really, I'm really close to Nadia. Nadia's one of my, Nadia was one of my best friends on the team and mm. still is one of my best friends. Um, to have her get drafted by Orlando was like mm. super cool. I actually went out to dinner with Nadia the night before and I was like, how do you feel? Like, do you think you're going to get drafted? And she was so nervous, you know, cause she didn't know what was going to happen. And so it was like, just, it was really cool to see these people who I had grown up playing soccer with for so long get drafted. I mean, it was the same with Ashley Hatch and Michelle Vasconcelos. I mean, BYU's produced a lot of NWSL talent. Mm-hmm. And it was cool to, like, see them play and now have teammates that I played with also be in that. It was cool um, to see some of the some of the players that I played on the Colombian U-20 national team camp with, that were in camp with me, uh, apply, uh, mm-hmm. um, not applied, registered mm-hmm. draft. That's what I was trying to say. Mm-hmm. And so... It's like, it's just amazing to me how small the community is. And it's so cool to see these women who I grew up playing with. I mean, even just on, on Saturday or on Friday, you know, Darian Jenkins. Mm-hmm. Courage. I grew up playing ODP with Darian since we were like 11, 12 years old. You know, so it's like so cool for me to see these players like find success as a professional in the best league in the world. Mm. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It was it was a cool experience, and I'm and I'm happy for them. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was. Do you know? Um, I know that Nadia. I did talk to her before the draft. Do you know what she's doing right now? I know she was with Orlando, but um, I lost track. Yeah, so I think she. I think she's still on their like practice squad. Okay. Okay. Cool. So I think she's still in Orlando and she still trains with them. I mean, she had her stint with the Portuguese women's national team in the mm-hmm. Algarve Cup, actually scored in the Algarve Cup. Yeah. Uh, 
and continues to be come in and out of the Portuguese women's national team side. But, but she's still in Orlando, still playing with their practice squad. Okay, cool. Yeah, she's super sweet, very kind. Oh, yeah, good. she's such a nice person. Yeah, yeah. Such a nice person, and I mean, just funny as can be, likable as can be. I have so many mm-hmm. funny memories with Nadia when we were in college because we were both, we both came into college, like, so clueless about everything. <laughs> then she has just, like, both of us have learned and both of us have become adults. And, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. So, so talking about players on practice squads and and the players we've just spoken about kind of leads into another question we had written down, which is, um, you know, it's it's obviously kind of unfortunate that the league is where it is right now with such small roster sizes and not the same kind of uh, second teams and that that the men's side has right now. Yeah. Um, so, what are I mean, as much as you know or can say. Um, what are the kind of the Royals' future plans for having more of a like? What, what's the academy in Arizona doing for the girls, and um, you know, where's that headed for us? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I don't know if there are any concrete plans. I mean, as far as the academy in Arizona and future academies, uh, the hope is just to develop players. I mean, not only is there a great business opportunity because soccer is such a growing sport, but the hope is that. Similar to RSL, the hope is that in the future, years from now, that we can develop players that ultimately we can end up trading or selling or uh, will be homegrown. I mean, RSL is an organization that prides themselves in the homegrown player. And so why would we not uh, do the same for our women's teams? As far as, you know, a set plan, I don't know if there is one just yet. And maybe there is, but I haven't, you know, I'm not the person that would know. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the hope is that in the future years from now we can start developing players and also it's part of growing the brand you know Mm -hmm. the RSL organization and when I say that I include the Royals is one that's very much about being out in the community and involving the community and so if there are club teams and academies and organizations that include the community you know that that's only better for for the state and it's only better for the team Mm mm-hmm Yeah. Virtual, you got anything else? No, I'm just just yeah. listening to all the wisdom. <laughs> I don't know about wisdom. <laughs> no, we've learned so much already. Um, Brian, any other questions? <sighs> I think I've thought of all of my good ones. Yeah, me too. Hmm. Great. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining us do today. You have, do you have anything? Um, speaking with all of you. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Talk oh. about everything from politics to rhetoric yeah. to, you know, front office to royals. So it's, it's, it's been fun going over a wide spectrum of things that I'm passionate about. Yeah, for sure. Cool. For Cho? Oh, yeah. I was just wondering, is, are there any, like, I guess, I don't know, maybe you were going to ask this and I just totally cut you off. Sorry, that'd be my bad. Um, yeah, but no, 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 no. Are, are there just any like parting thoughts that you want to give to the fan base, Carla? Um, I mean, the only parting thoughts I can give are sincere and just simple truth. You know, that the team really does appreciate the fans. Mm. And, I, and I've seen it. I've had personal conversations with the players who say that they appreciate how supportive that the community has been. 
And it's not just a PR stunt. It's not just something that is thrown up in the air to try to sell tickets. It, I think the players really do appreciate it. I mean, some of these players came from teams where they weren't bringing in that many fans and where they didn't have the sort of support and they didn't have the sort of encouragement. And so I think the last thing I would leave with the fans is continue that. Don't let this inaugural season be the novelty that ended and then you move on with your life. Continue to be a fan and continue coming to the games and continue supporting and representing because this is so much bigger than just a, are we going to make the playoffs or not? This is a, how do we encourage women and men to, mm-hmm. to pursue this ideal society? Utah mm-hmm. is the perfect place right now for a women's team, but we need that support to continue growing and we need it to continue spreading regardless of how the season goes, because it really does mean a lot to this women. And it means a lot, I think, to the upcoming generation of soccer players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And keep watching the broadcasts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> keep watching the broadcasts and interact. Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, I'm going to add this. Interact with Greg and I. I mean, okay. like, have our Twitter handles, like, at Carlita S07, at Greg Rubel. Like, let us know. And, I, and it's been great, I'll say, because I'll post on Twitter, like, hey, how do you think this game's going to go? Or how do you think the game is going? And people have been awesome in responding, well, I like this, but I think the team needs to work on that. It's been, it's been fun to interact with the fans. You know, I like to do a roll call on game day. Where are you watching the game from? And we have people from, we've had everyone from Australia to Scotland to different parts of the country to people in the stadium to be taking a picture of where they're watching the game from. Like mm-hmm. keep interacting. I love that. I love interacting with the fans and I love hearing your thoughts. Keep watching the broadcasts is going to be my final, my final note. 